You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. In February, the government announced proposals to apply an additional 15% tax on super earnings that correspond to a member's total super balance above $3 million and to apply from the 25-26 financial year. However, we now have a draft bill that provides more detail about how this proposed tax will operate, but some uncertainties and complexities remain. I'm your host, Craig Day, and joining me today to discuss these proposed changes and how they may impact clients as well as some of their broader implications is Tim Sanderson, one of my senior technical services managers. G'day, Tim. Hi, Craig. How are you? Not too bad. Actually, quite excited. I always love a new piece of legislation in quite a nerdy kind of way to get, yeah, you know, lots, get lots into of detail to get into. Lots of detail, although maybe that, that enthusiasm isn't shared by others, potentially <laughs> if they have to pay this this tax, Absolutely. but uh, yeah, I won't say bloody tax, but tax. Now, um, first, Tim, uh, we've got a new name for this thing. So what is it? Yeah, we certainly do, Craig. We don't have to keep calling it things like 3 million total super balance something tax. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be called Division 296 tax mm-hmm. after the new division in the Tax Act where it's proposed to sit. Um, now, if you ask me, that's very, very confusing. I've already counted about 15 or so times that I've accidentally called it Division 293 tax. Um, I'm definitely the worst offender in the team no, but, in that regard. But not the only offender. I too have made no. the same mistake. Now, while the name's new, when we look through the draft legislation, would you agree that there haven't been any real seismic shifts on from what they originally proposed? Yeah, look, I think that's probably the high-level headline of this draft legislation. Okay, so there haven't been any radical changes like using deemed earnings or requiring the withdrawal of super amounts above 3 million or somehow indexing this, but the bill would still calculate earnings based on the change in a member's total super balance throughout the year with adjustments made for withdrawals and contributions. Um, And we calculate the proportion of earnings relating to a member's total super balance uh, at the end of the year that's over $3 million with no adjustments for that total super balance. And then we simply tax that proportion at 15%. Is that what they're proposing? Yeah, that's right. Um, and in relation to actually paying the tax, as we thought, it will work similar to paying Div 293 tax, but you're going to get 84 days to pay it instead of uh, 21 days. And also a lower general interest charge rate will apply when it's overdue. So they're trying not to penalise people who don't have the liquidity to pay the tax. A, a member will still be able to elect to release from one or more super interests. A 60-day period will apply there. And there will be debt deferral arrangements similar to Div 293 that will apply for that tax relating to defined benefit interests. Okay. Now, so when we look at it, much of the clarification we see in the bill is around what is counted as withdrawals and contributions during year for the purposes of calculating the actual earnings. Because, you know, if we're looking at the difference between total super balance at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year, if we make a contribution or we pull out a withdrawal, obviously that distorts our earning calculations. So we either have to add those amounts back in for withdrawals or strip them back out if they're a a contribution. 
So as if we start off by looking at withdrawals, um, as well as lump sum withdrawals, which we always pretty much knew was going to be treated as withdrawal, um, we will also have other amounts counting as withdrawals. And, and these will include pension payments. So that's good news um, in relation to just confirming that we what we suspected was going to be included as a withdrawal is a withdrawal. Um, also, contribution splitting and family law splitting amounts paid from a member's super interest across to their spouse or uh, previous spouse and amounts paid out as release authorities with slight adjustment for all first home super saver scheme releases to exclude that earnings amount. Um, but withdrawals won't include rollovers or income protection payments. Now, you might say, well, why wouldn't a rollover include an income protection payment? Normally, when someone uh, has income protection via super, it's done via an, an insurance policy. And what will happen there is the insurer will generally pay that member directly for the period of their temporary incapacity. So because that amount isn't coming into the account and going back out of the account, it's not appropriate that should be treated as a withdrawal. Um, other amounts that won't be treated as withdrawal include amounts paid under an Unclaimed Money Act or amounts paid from a foreign super fund. And on the contribution side, um, contributions will obviously include all regular types of contributions. And it's been confirmed that it will only be 85% um, of the amount in the case of concessional contributions to you know, recognise the, the tax that's been paid within the fund. Um, but in addition, uh, contributions will include uh, contribution splits and family law splits received. Um, also, death, TPD or terminal illness proceeds received into the fund and allocated to the member's account. Also, amounts allocated from reserves that form part of a member's concessional contributions. We've also got transfers coming in from a foreign super fund um, will be a contribution. And also the value of a death benefit income stream where a member starts to receive that during a year. But contributions won't include rollovers, uh, amounts received under the Unclaimed Money Act or contributions to foreign super funds. So I think what we've seen here in the bill, it's really confirming that some of those events which skew the calculation of a member's earnings and where there was previously uncertainty, uncertainty will be taken into account. And the bill allows regs to be made for any additional inclusions and exclusions for both withdrawals and contributions. But there are still some potential issues and uncertainties based on the draft legislation, which we might highlight a few of now, Tim. Yeah, Craig, um, one I was thinking about um, was really about release authorities. You mentioned they're going to be a withdrawal, but there's an adjustment for first-home super mm -hmm. saver releases. Yep. Yep. But then I was thinking, what about excess non-concessional contributions where you know the excess plus 85% of an associated earnings amount has been released? Um, if they're not adjusted too, you know, even though we're talking about different earnings definitions, isn't that potentially double tax applying? Yeah, from our analysis, potentially yes, the way the bill is written. Now, in terms of uh, this associated earnings amount, well, 100% of that associated earnings amounts, are, they're already being effectively taxed at the member's marginal tax rate. But then we add these back in to calculate the earnings for Division 296 purposes. So the proportion of that amount may also then have the 15% tax applied to it as well, meaning double taxation. 
Yeah, interesting. And I imagine Treasury may get some feedback on that issue. Um, so I think we'll need to wait and see if there's any changes when a bill ends up being introduced into Parliament. Yeah, and, and certainly I'm aware that there's a number of industry associations making submissions, and, and I do know that that very issue has been already identified. Now, on the contribution side, those reserve allocations only seem to get stripped out of earnings if they form part of a member's concessional contributions. Yeah, I mean, that certainly appears to be the way the draft legislation has it working. Um, but as people may be aware, there are some reserve allocations that don't, don't count towards the member's concessional cap. Mm-hmm. So they would include amounts allocated fairly and reasonably, which don't increase a member's balance by more than 5%. And also allocations from pension reserves to the member in line with the regulations. Um, and it appears that those exempt amounts won't be stripped out and will therefore effectively form part of earnings. Okay, so that's a pretty illogical way for it to work. Um, when you think about both exempt amounts and the amounts that count towards the member's concessional contribution cap, they're, they're both increasing the member's balance in the same way. So why is one being stripped out and the other not? And also thinking about the pension reserves. So I know that the ATO in the past have talked about situations where all the assets supporting a complying lifetime pension are being treated as in a reserve. Now, if one of those was to be commuted and allocated back to commence that's something like a, a term allocated pension or a market linked income stream, then what we do is we allocate all of the reserves that were previously supporting that lifetime pension. We allocate that back to the member and we use those to commence that term allocated pension. Well, In that situation, there's an exception for that allocation from being treated as a concessional counting towards the concessional contribution cap. So therefore, that full allocation is now going to be treated as earnings and and depending on the circumstances, could result in a huge amount of earnings now being attributed to the member. Yeah, agree. And also remembering that at the same time, um, pension payments are coming out of those pensions that are being treated as withdrawals and added back to the earnings calculation. Yeah, and that's potentially a big double whammy. So hopefully this can be clarified during the consultation process. Now, just back on the overall earnings calculation, and important to highlight that earnings are really only calculated to the extent the member's total super balance is over $3 million. So for example, assuming no contributions or withdrawals, if a member's total super balance goes from, let's say, $2.8 million to $3.2 million throughout the year, they're only going to have earnings of $200,000, which we then need to proportion. So Tim, you've been having a look at how negative earnings are treated under the bill? Yeah, certainly have. So they are going to work largely as we thought under the initial proposal. Um, And negative earnings, they're really just calculated in the normal way, same as normal superannuation earnings, but it ends up with the result being negative. And then in terms of their treatment at a high level, where the member's total super balance at the start of the year was more than $3 million and they've got negative earnings for a year, they get carried forward and simply subtracted from the following year's earnings. And so that could mean that next year's earnings are lower or it could mean that next year's earnings are negative and then those end up getting carried forward. Now, one interesting thing in the draft legislation is that certain people won't be liable for Division 296 tax for a year even if it would have otherwise applied for them. 
apply to them. So in this case, um, child death benefit pension recipients at the end of the year. So if we've got a situation where a parent has passed away and the death benefit is being paid to the child, it doesn't matter that the child may have a total bounce up and over $3 million in that situation. Um, It would be unusual, but to the extent that they did, they won't be subject to this tax. Also, people who have ever previously made a structured settlement contribution relating to personal injury uh, at any time before the end of the year, including early years, won't have uh, a Division 296 liability regardless of the size of their total super balance. Now, no, this hasn't this treatment hasn't been extended to people receiving TPD insurance proceeds into their super. It's only people making a structured settlement payment. And also people who die before the last day of the income year. So a deceased member uh, will not actually have a Division 296 liability if they would otherwise have because of the fact that they passed away. So just on people dying before the last day of the income year, um, what happens if they die on 30 June? Division 296 tax could be payable, but if they die on the 29th, it doesn't apply? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the way it's written at the moment, Tim. So we'll just need to wait and see if that changes as a result of the consultation process. It just makes sense to, to exempt anyone who dies at any time during the year. Now, well, someone who dies before the last day of the year won't pay Division 296 tax. If their dependent receives their death benefit as a pension, it will start to count towards their total super balance um, from that time. However, the rules will treat it as a contribution and therefore the value of the pension will be reversed back out for their adjusted TSB for calculating their earnings. But here's the really important bit. That amount will still count towards their total superannuation balance going forward and so therefore could mean either more Division 296 tax or starting to having starting to have a Division Two Nine tax liability in a future year. So, just on that point, I'm wondering whether there might be a bit of a benefit here in having a non-reversionary death benefit pension rather than reversionary, which transfers immediately on death. Yeah, well, interesting that there could be, particularly if the member passes away latish in the financial year. So, with a reversionary pension that would impact their total super balance at the end of the current year and may mean some or more Division 296 tax liability. Obviously not if it's it's a child, but it's in most circumstances it would be the spouse. Uh, Now, with a non-reversionary, depending on their situation, the new death benefit pension might not start until on or after the 1st of July, so therefore not impacting their total super balance at the end of the current year because we know that that's measured on 30 June. So one more difference to add to the considerations between setting up reversionary or non-reversionary pensions. One other thing that's been mostly clarified was an uncertainty about how constitutionally protected funds and certain other funds would be treated. Um, And again, at a high level, interest in constitutionally protected funds for certain people, such as state high-level office holders, interests of some judges and justices, and interest in non-complying funds they're going to be ignored for earnings calculation purposes. But those interests are still going to count for measuring whether a client's total super balance is over $3 million and therefore what portion of earnings can be subject to Division 296 tax. And the big final change to discuss is that the draft legislation changes the definition of total super balance from immediately before 1 July 2025. So at present, that's calculated by 
adding up all of our accumulation phase values. So, you know, any sort of accumulation account balance, or if I'm got an accruing defined benefit accumulation interest, um, we add that in. Um, and that gives us our accumulation values. Then we add in our retirement phase values, which is the value of our transfer balance account adjusted to reflect the current value of our account-based income stream. So, for example, an account-based pension or a term-allocated pension, otherwise known as a market-linked income stream. So once we've got those two figures, and importantly there, the retirement phase value will include um, the transfer balance account value of any defined benefit pension, such as a complying lifetime or life expectancy pension. Now, what we would then do is add in the rollover, in, in transit rollovers amount that occur on 30 June, um, also the certain uh, LRB amount, L limited recourse borrowing around arrangement amounts for self-managed fund members, and then we simply deduct off the structured settlement contributions that uh, have been received by the fund or that have been made to any superannuation fund. Now, Interestingly here, the draft legislation would replace the retirement phase values and accumulation values and instead includes the TSB values of all their super interests, excluding foreign super funds, and effectively breaks the link between transfer balance cap and total superannuation balance. Yeah, this is a big change and I was quite, it was quite a surprise to see it included in the draft legislation and the, the draft explanatory memorandum has explained that originally using the transfer balance account or cap for things like defined benefit pensions was really so they wouldn't have to be revalued on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. But the Division 296 tax purposes, the earnings calculation makes annual revaluation really important. So the big question with this new definition will obviously be what is the total super balance value of a super interest? And Tim, we don't really know this particularly for defined benefit pensions and interest as it will likely rely on the regs that still are yet to be made. Yeah, exactly right. So the the way it's defined, the TSB value of a super interest is either the regs value if there is one or if not, it's the total amount of super benefits that would be payable if the member could and did cause that interest to cease voluntarily. So I'm thinking pretty straightforward for accumulation accounts and account-based income streams, but we're likely going to need to wait for regs to see how defined benefit income streams and likely accruing defined benefit interests are going to be valued for those purposes. So we need to wait for further details, but it appears from what they're saying in the EM that the value of defined benefit pensions will change value each year. So those members' total super balance will likely be more fluid year to year. And importantly, the change to TSB we're talking about here is actually going to be relevant for all things that TSB is used for, not just for Division 296 purposes non-concessional contribution and bring forward, carry forward concessional contributions are going to be potentially impacted by this, as well as whether a fund has disregarded small fund assets if it's a self-managed super fund. Uh, and one important difference is that for Division 296 purposes only, limited recourse borrowing amounts won't count towards their total super balance. And assuming it's legislated, this change would appear to apply from 30 June 2025, so advisors may have clients whose total super balance is really quite different on that date compared with one year earlier, and it may impact their eligibility for a range of things. So advice might be really important in the lead up to that uh, important date. 
Yeah, it's really important here. And as, as you said, that these could impact clients that won't necessarily have balances up around $3 million. But for example, if they've got one of these complying pensions and we get these regs that give us quite a different valuation methodology, all of a sudden that could potentially bring the client's ability to make non-concessional contributions, maybe turn it back on, turn it off. It all depends on, <laughs> on what these regs actually end up doing for us. And Tim, there's just one final thing I just want to make mention of here, and that's that all of this that's included in the uh, in these exposure bills, well, they could potentially change as there is a bit of a push on at the moment with, with a lot of these submissions going in to suggest replacing these quite complex rules with a much simpler method to calculate earnings for a year by just multiplying a member's total super balance at the end of the previous year by a deemed earnings rate. And this deemed rate could be calculated potentially by the government actuary and could be based on an average industry return, which assumes both a certain level of income and a certain amount of realised capital gains. Yeah, well, that certainly would make it a lot simpler um, because we wouldn't need to do all of these adjustments for contributions and withdrawals. And it, in doing it that way, it would help to address that whole taxation of unrealised capital gains issue to some extent. Yeah, agreed. I, I think it could help a lot with those things. However, I guess some people may still get upset where their actual earnings are less than the deemed earnings rate. And I suppose the moral of the story here is that there's always going to be winners and losing losers depending on which methodology you use. So better to use the simplest method, which creates the least red tape and admin cost. Okay, so I think we're just going to have to watch this space in that regard. And I think on that note, we can probably wrap up. Yeah, I agreed. I think we've covered everything. Thanks, Tim. And, thanks, Greg. And thanks, everyone, for listening. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Adventius Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.